listening to Tapped In, Buckham County's half hour to empower on WRES 100.7 FM in Asheville. Listen up and get tapped into local important resources, information, and topics. Learn more about the topics of today's show at buncombecounty.org. Okay, it's time to get tapped in. Hello, 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 and greetings to all that are listening to my voice. If you hear me, you know it's time to get tapped in. And I'm one of your hosts, Zakia Bell Rogers, and then I'm going to introduce my co-host, the hostess with the mostest, uh (laughs) aha. And I'm Leonard Jones. And Leonard and I come to you from the Communications and Public Engagement Department of Buckham County. And so today's episode is the second of a five-part series that we'll be doing about the Community Reparations Commission that is taking place here in Buckingham County in the city of Asheville. I would like to introduce our special guests, Salah Merritt, Dwayne McAfee, Shakika Giles-Bayton. They're here to discuss work and the progress of the criminal justice impact focus area, a work group of the commission. Welcome Salah, Shakika, and Dwayne. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And before we get started, I would just like to give some context about this conversation, this commission. The Community Reparations Commission is empowered to make recommendations that will make significant progress towards repairing the damage caused by public and private systematic, systematic racism. The 25-member commission appointments were made from city and county government impact focus area experts and the legacy neighborhoods. Those legacy neighborhoods are Burden Street, East End Valley Street, Shiloh, Southside, Stumptown, Asheville Housing Authority, and the heart of Chestnut. The commission receives ongoing support from the city and county staff to ensure cohesion throughout. Commission terms is two years from appointment, and that will be ending March of or April of 2024. The impact focus areas are criminal justice, health and wellness, housing, education, and economic de- development. Woo, that's a mouthful. <laughs> but today with us, we have um, the criminal justice um, um, focus uh, impact focus area. So, to you all, what is your role in the community reparations commissions? Mr. McAfee, you may go first because you made eye contact. <laughs> that's that's an excellent question. Repeat the question. What is your role on the community reparation reparations commissions? So, technically, it is to provide recommendations to the city and county. Mm-hmm. Um, that will hopefully um, stop the harm of today Mm -hmm. and recognize some of the damage that was done in the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, what what does that mean to you when you think about the criminal justice um, impact focus area? What does that mean to you? Well, uh, so that's actually layered. Mm -hmm. For me, criminal justice and education are cannot be divided. Yeah. Uh, we find that if you're coming from a place of uh, where you do not have your basic reading, writing, arithmetic skills, you are so more, much more likely to end up in trouble in school. Mm-hmm. And then because we don't have the um, stop gaps in place, these children go from school sometimes directly to jail. Mm-hmm. And I think that be, should be eliminated immediately. No parent should send their child to school and then get a phone call that that kid, that child now, 
is in is locked up in jail. Mm-hmm. Phone call should have happened a lot sooner. A lot sooner because you know, we all know that we're we're mostly reactive and proactive, and so that that is an excellent point. If we educate and give that information to our youth and their parents, then they can hopefully find the resources. Absolutely. Um, Shakika, what would you what would you like to add? Um, I mean, in, in general, like that's focusing on the education, but mm-hmm. our numbers in the criminal justice system and the prisons in general is high, disproportionately mm-hmm. high. So just stepping outside of the education, you know, poverty leads to crime. Mm-hmm. Um, lack of housing leads to crime. Lack of opportunity leads mm-hmm. to crime. So that's the reason, trying to get at the root causes for why we're in the criminal justice system mm-hmm. is kind of one of my focuses here and trying to make recommendations to fix that. Yeah. And so we know with the impact focus areas, y'all have community meetings and y'all meet. Uh, where are the criminal justice um, impact focus area meetings are held and when? We are the second and third Wednesday um, at the Montfort Community Center mm-hmm. um, at uh, 6 p.m. 6, 6 p.m. to 8. 6 to 8 p.m. 6 yeah. to 8 p.m. So um, that's second and third Wednesday, Montfort Center, um, and that's from 6 to 8 p.m. Yes. And um, is there any time where, like, um, it fluctuates or changes? Or is the schedule consistent this month? Yes. This upcoming month. Okay. Because yes. I just want you all to know, because July is right around the corner. You blink today, it'll be July tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So in July, it's the second and, and, and third Wednesday. So do not forget and attend if you can. Um, you want to go? You want to ask this question? Because I, I got one. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, just with those, public can attend those meetings as well. Um, Absolutely. So they open to the public Engaged. and encouraged Absolutely. to come out yes. to the meetings. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, what are some of the harms that your group has identified? So, the <laughs> we all have uh, life experiences when it comes to criminal justice. Mm-hmm. The harms that we have identified are the harms that have been in existence for a long, long time. Um, if we are disproportionately put into the criminal justice system, <laughs> Someone has to start asking how and stop just mm-hmm. calling it the system. Mm-hmm. How does the system start? Maybe it starts from a biased cop who mm-hmm. disproportionately targets our community more than another community. Maybe the magistrate has bias and tends to send us to the DA mm-hmm. more often than other communities. Maybe the DA is biased. Maybe the judge is biased. We need to start tracking all of them, and if they show bias, we either educate them or we remove them from the system. Mm-hmm. Full stop. We cannot play games with this anymore. Mm-hmm. And you said it, it, we have to find where it starts, and I think a lot of people don't understand the policing system and how it started. Um, you know, a lot of folks don't understand that it started with slave patrol, That's right. and it, there was not a police department back then. It was slave patrol and those folks were used to capture um, enslaved people who ran away. And then after um, emancipation, we had reconstruction and then um, people who looked like us, black folks, were able to do more and then at the drop of a hat came Jim Crow and came those police officers to keep African Americans and black folks in line um, to follow those rules. And so 
we talk about the system, but throughout history, the system was created with bias. It was created exactly. to um, cause harm to one group of folks. And I think one of the biggest issues is that no one has done a hard stop to re-educate police officers and create relationships with the community itself. And so that creates a lot of harm because you get things like, if you don't like the police, don't call the police. If you don't like the cr criminal system, don't do crime. <coughs> and, and we know that, you know, every there are so many reasons why people commit a crime. Yes, and mm -hmm. that's also so layered. It's almost mm -hmm. like saying um, you have to be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. But what if you don't have any boots? Yeah. What if you all you got on is sandals? That's right. Exactly. Right. You can't pull yourself up or do better when you don't have the resources. You know, we're basically giving our community a toolbox and say, go build a house. And that's all they have. They don't have any wood, no nails, anything to make a foundation. But they're expected to have a house in 90 days. And so, you know, that's a harm within itself because yes. it creates the, the possibility and opportunity for failure. Yes. A mm -hmm. quick stop to some of the bias mm -hmm. is that uh, how about every police officer, every sheriff, everyone that encounters the public, mm -hmm. look at them as human beings first. Mm -hmm. That would help quite a bit. And if they have a hard time doing that, how about when they encounter a black man? Envision your grandfather. Mm -hmm. Envision your grandmother and treat them with the respect and dignity that you would treat your own grandmother or grandfather. Mm -hmm. That way you can uh, move around the culture and not understanding the culture. Mm -hmm. Look and see your grandparents when you're dealing with people that you don't understand. Mm. And so here we have one horn kind of identified <coughs> that works around um, biases. Um, are there any other harms that the criminal justice IFA done kind of elevated or focusing on? Um, I know my attention is, is in the policies themselves, mm -hmm. um, the system itself. Like, I recognize that there are individual players that are making this happen, but the system itself has created an atmosphere where they can come in and do that. Mm -hmm. And they have no accountability measures in place to make sure that nobody is doing that. So, for me, I look at it as the policies <coughs> and the lack of accountability um, in the criminal justice system, as far as like he's saying, there, no one's tracking the judges and how often they're giving a plea deal to one group versus another group, or how much time they're giving to one group versus another group. No one's tracking how often this cop has had an altercation with one group versus another. Mm -hmm. No one's even tracking the data. So to me, that's just a lack of accountability. Mm -hmm. And part of that is just intrinsic in the system and the policies. Mm. And let's not forget, the, pr the criminal justice system, especially the prison system, that's a cash mm -hmm. pipeline. And um, we are, unfortunately, the product, right? So we tend to get locked up because we need to have product into these buildings that they spent millions and billions of mm -hmm. dollars all over the country. Well, the product has to be inside there for this to function. Mm -hmm. We have to disrupt that and understand that when we um, put a monetary value on incarcerating people, people are going to be incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I heard you mention pipeline. I know 
um, being a kid of the 80s, often you hear about the school to prison pipeline. Is that something else y'all have um, discussed in IFA meetings? Definitely. Yeah, we, we just met. The, the um, SROs in the schools, mm-hmm. that's been a huge conversation. I'm going to let Mr. McAfee kind of share his thoughts on that because he's kind of working with the schools that have been in the schools. Um, so, quite frankly, if we're going to have officers in the schools, and in today's time, we probably need them. They should be so child-friendly, mm-hmm. people-friendly, because they want to minimize how a lot of people in the community feel about them as police officers. They have a unique opportunity in these schools. But instead, I find they put some of the most stringent, unable to communicate officers in Mm -hmm. front of our children and I feel it is nothing but intimidation. Mm. Um, We don't need to have a six foot six white officer at Southridge Broad Middle School. Mm. I understand the adults may feel that because of his size if something were to happen that they feel more protected with his size but ask yourself how does a 10 year old 12 year old feel when he has to look up to this man, when this man is not friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, he should not be at that school. Reassign him somewhere else. Yeah. I've seen him. I've dealt with him. He should not be there. And, and that's another thing, like, because when these kids see him and he's not friendly. That's right. And then officers say, um, this certain community doesn't have respect for police. But, again, when in the history has the, the police ever had respect for this community and then you take them and put them into the schools where our children are and they're everything that they've learned at home and learned throughout history is being reinforced with their interaction with them absolutely and so it doesn't create um a cohesion it creates chaos between the two and so no it's not going to create respect because both groups are trying to be respected because they both feel disrespected so, yeah. So, have you had any like potential or draft recommendations that you're starting to kind of massage or flush out better? Um, we just had a meeting with the um, education IFA. So, criminal justice is so intertwined with mm-hmm. all of the other IFAs that it's hard for us to narrow down on any of ours before mm-hmm. we speak to the other groups. Yeah. So, I know personally, I'm kind of. Like, I have mine on the table and ideas and things, but I'm like, until we meet with the other groups and we're getting ready to have a retreat so we can meet, um, you really can't, in my opinion, hammer mm-hmm. out the hard-pressed details because we need the other groups. Mm-hmm. So there are some practical things, and I haven't brought this up to an IFA or anyone else, they but <laughs> when we talk about <laughs> stopping the harm right now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we know we are disproportionately targeted. Every police officer, every sheriff officer should have a body camera on and when they decide that they're going to engage and run our license plate that body camera should be on Mm -hmm. and it should stay on throughout the interaction so that that becomes another way for us to Mm -hmm. verify whether or not we are being treated fairly and anyone that opposes that i could only imagine that they would suspect that they may we have we, we haven't talked about this but um, blacks do not want to eliminate 
the police departments from the community. Mm -hmm. We want fair police officers mm -hmm. in the community. That's a big difference. We shouldn't have to call the police because a loved one is having an episode of whatever mm -hmm. kind, and then that ends up in tragedy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for it. And to say that we don't culturally understand you anymore does not hold for me, guys. Mm. So, and, and that has been a, a, a reason for the, the um, behaviors that we don't culturally understand well, you? Well, if a, if a, black, if, if a black kid um, turns and does not respond to the police officer's uh, request and he turns to walk away, um, that young man could get shot in the back. Mm -hmm. But we have seen video and proof that others in the community can be mm -hmm. as disrespectful, uh, move away, run away from the police, and mm -hmm. they never pull their guns out mm -hmm. to pull the trigger. So are they pulling the trigger because they see a black person, or are they pulling the trigger because they see a suspect? Because those numbers should reflect that. Mm -hmm. Well, it just seems very... Um, ah, that they are allowed to shoot someone in their back. Because I know if you're like standing your ground and someone leaves their house, your house and their back is turned, you're no longer allowed to shoot. If they are allowed to say that they <clears throat> feared for their own personal safety. By the person running away. And they're shooting them 16 times in the back, they can justify that because they were afraid of their safety. They were afraid for their lives. And I think that narrative has to be um, dissected um, because fearing for your life of someone, you know, it's like a, the sight of a black man in, in, in creates fear for your life. And so that needs to be um, evaluated. Why are these people seeing a black body that has, that does not have a weapon, that is just walking away from you. Why is that causing you fear um, in your life? Um, so I think we, that's a lot of those stereotypes and myths that have been instilled into um, these folks. And then, you know, we talk about criminal justice. We have to talk about the education of, you know, not only police officers, but judges and um, uh, attorneys and DAs, you know, those things need to be looked at. How are they educating um, folks about the history of America in the criminal system? And so, uh, you know, Buncombe County is doing great work, but it is so massive that we would basically have to take the entire criminal system of America, of the United States, and dissect it. And my fear is that it won't be able to get completed before my time. If they just, you know, it's almost like they need to take the system and ball it up and just start over. That there, there are some good points and parts, but at the end of the day, um, what we need to have mm -hmm. is just absolute transparency in what we are, to, mm -hmm. what, what, is, what does policing mean? Yeah. What is the common denominator? When, when we as citizens reach out for law enforcement, um, we have already been victimized. Mm -hmm. That's why we're reaching out. 
then to have those very people with the sign on the door to say serve and protect mm -hmm. come and victimize you uh, again in a second way um, that's gonna make people reluctant to want to get involved but we as a community also have some things that we have to do mm -hmm. you have to show up for jury duty if we say the system is corrupt and unfair one of the best ways to put a stopgap measure in there is that you show up for jury duty every chance you get. It should be a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. We do the exact opposite, and we try to avoid it. If maybe one of us was on the jury when they were, when they were prosecuting an innocent black person, mm -hmm. maybe we could understand that to our 12, uh, 11 other jurors, and, and that verdict would never come down to begin with. Because we hear stuff when they pull the jury. Mm -hmm. Well, if he was innocent, why did he run? Well, if you're black and a policeman says stop, my immediate reaction is to run. Mm -hmm. It is not to stop and say, sir, what can I do for you? Are you kidding me? And, and, that, and, and that is like, that run emotion is like embedded into our DNA. It's the fight of life. Yes, that they instilled, that, yeah. that has been instilled because of facts. So yeah, that, facts and historical, right. you know, right. data. That's right. Is, That's right. Yeah. So you can't have us feel necessary to to flee when you're around, and then want us to capitulate just mm -hmm. because you're there. You yeah. can't have it both ways. Well, that goes back to the cop at the school. Like you started with the baby, and you scared the crap out of them. Exactly. And you showed them that the police were just there when mm -hmm. you get in trouble. They're not there to help you with anything. Just when you get in trouble, they're going to be in your face. They might take you off somewhere. You might go away in handcuffs. And then you grow up and you see a cop. You're not, you're not stopping. Mm -mm. When you see one, you're going to go the other way. You're going to look hard. Like you're going to do all the things they deem as suspicious, but that's mm -hmm. because you're scared. Yeah. And so uh, here we talk about a lot of like personal lived experience as well as um, just like a collective um, community approach around criminal justice. Going back to just your IFA meetings and, you know, as y'all work through identifying the harms and coming up with your recommendations, um, what's some of the organizations or special guests that the IFA criminal justice then had to kind of help um, work through um, some of the issues that people are bringing um, forward? We've had quite a few. We've had Pisco Legal come in. We've had the Buncombe County Sheriff come in. Uh, the DA um, has come in. Public Defender has come in. Um, we have talked to a lot of different groups. <coughs> but again, um, when we're talking about criminal justice, mm -hmm. my own personal life experience probably weighs more weight to me. Uh, they're telling me what, I, what we already know, mm -hmm. right? But what they're not telling us is a solution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've had Philip Cooper come in, so you all are yeah. probably mm -hmm. familiar with him. You know, he's about second chances. We've had um, Brent Bailey, who mm -hmm. works at the Justice Resource Center as well. The Vera Institute mm -hmm. um, did a, a online or video presentation to us as well. So what we're trying to do is get all the different aspects and views mm -hmm. of and, and input and intake um, from what people see when it comes to criminal justice. Um, but a lot of lived experience within mm -hmm. the room, 
and that's you know where our conversations go mm-hmm. like this is what I, I've experienced when it comes to criminal justice mm-hmm. and then how do we navigate that mm-hmm. yeah. right and there's so many injustices when you look at the criminal um, justice system mm-hmm. you know I, I actually I have a family member who spent 30 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit right. and then they were finally able to overturn it and then they found out that the police planted all this stuff and so 30 years 18 to 48 years old life loss mm-hmm. and so you can't say oh sorry you know that was back then that you know mm-hmm. that's not something you can you can even create a an apology for right. no. and so you know we have so many stories like that and then we have so many stories where people have just been casually walking down the street and been harassed yes and so you know how you know thinking about those things because some of those officers are still there so how do we educate a community and educate a system and create a, a working relationship because um, we're not going anywhere right. you know and they're not going anywhere so <clears throat> what you know how do we how do we bridge this gap right. I think it's how we bring officers in as mm-hmm. well um, I can give an example because I worked for the police department in Savannah, Georgia, mm-hmm. and we had a police chief that came in, and there were some things that that had happened with mm-hmm. our former police chief who was actually in federal prison for what he had wow. done. So you come into a, a, a department, and you lay down the law, mm-hmm. right? You don't make exceptions. So when we're hiring police officers, we don't make exceptions because we're desperate to put someone Mm-hmm. in that in that seat right yeah um if there's things that are not acceptable then that police officer is not they're not hired mm-hmm. right no exception i think it's how you bring them in i think it's what i think it's from the top down mm-hmm. it's how you lead um and this chief that i was under he came in and he pretty much said this is how i lead and if you don't like it i expect your gun your badge and your resignation on my desk and i will tell you that there were several people brought their guns, their badges, and their resignations and put them on his desk because they weren't ready for that change. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's, it sounds harsh, but it's needed because you need people who want to do the job. So we talk mm-hmm. about SROs and those who are in the school. Um, I had officers that were under me, and we did a lot of community policing. Mm-hmm. But what we found is that they loved what they did. Mm-hmm. So we didn't put someone in, in that in that part of the Savannah Impact Program, which is what it was, who didn't like dealing with community and mm-hmm. working with kids and who didn't like going to the schools. The officers that were serving in those roles, they were passionate about mm-hmm. that, helping people, helping communities, serving in schools. <laughs> so you put people in the roles and where they're the best fit. I get, and, and, you know, that made me smile because I just thought about something. Um, you say that you, you put people in the roles that they fit in. And so when we're looking at these officers, we need to understand why are you choosing to be an officer? Is it to serve and protect or power and control? Was I bullied in high school and now I just want to get back at everybody because I'm mad? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah. That's, and that's a real thing. I laugh about it, but it's a real thing. And, but, I, and they're so young. Like, you can be an officer at 21, but you can't rent a car without issue at 20, so 25. So it's like a lot of stuff needs to be looked at mm-hmm. before you finish this out I would say that that kind of goes back to that accountability mm-hmm. I, I think it's ridiculous that we tell a high school student 
that whatever they do in high school is going to follow them up until like their mid-20s, mm -hmm. their college career. But a cop can have an infraction, leave a department, which is why some of them guys left, because they know they can just go somewhere else yep. and get a badge there and continue on what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So that lack of accountability even in between departments, mm -hmm. like you shouldn't be able to commit an act that's egregious over here as a cop and then just go over here and get another cop job. You should mm -hmm. have to find a different profession because you've already proven that you can't do it. Mm -hmm. But there's no across the board accountability for the officers, I mean, which, which makes no sense to me. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so um, there are good police officers. Yeah. We, we need to make sure that we say that. Um, if you are an officer and you're putting your badge and your gun on and you're putting your uniform on, you need to take your bias and leave that on your dresser. And mm -hmm. that's for all of them. Do not bring your bias to your job. Mm -hmm. That's how we stop this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have a few minutes left, and I hate that. Because <laughs> I, know you always say that. I, know, I hate that. <laughs> Our show. I just I know. <laughs> so I'm gonna allow you all to just leave something that you want our audience and folks in our community to know. And I'll start with you, Shakika. For me, um, I'm not a big talker. Mm -hmm. So for me to be out here voicing my opinion is big. I think if nothing else, it is time for our community to be at least speak. Mm -hmm. and say what it is we want, what it is we need, what we think will help our community. At least, if nothing else, we need to be telling <clears throat> telling our stories and mm -hmm. speaking up for what we want. Um, and then just let the chips fall where they may, you know, because we're not really in control of making these things happen. We're just mm -hmm. here to make recommendations. Mm -hmm. um, I just want the community to show up more and let us know what they want. Yes. So <laughs> as a reparations committee commun uh, committee member I would like to see more people participate in this process but beyond the committee we as a community have to be engaged and involved in every aspect of our lives <clears throat> we can no longer sit on the sideline and complain and not get involved mm -hmm. if something is wrong change it Let's find a vehicle, a mechanism, so that we can move beyond where we are right now. Because to hear someone say in 2018, 2019, that police officers weren't ready for a change so that they could stop victimizing the citizens, I find that incredible. That change should have happened 60, 80, 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. There's no more time to wait. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree. All right, so I pretty much echo what both Shakika and Mr. McAfee said. Show up. <clears throat> I will say that we don't get a lot of community to our meetings. Mm -hmm. So again, the Criminal Justice IFA meets every second and third Wednesday at the Montford Center from 6 to 8. Please come and share your stories because that helps to mold our recommendations that we're trying to come up with. We are um, about to host a criminal justice um, community engagement event. We don't have the date solidified just as yet. I saw you about to write that down. But um, as soon as we do, I will share it out. We'll share it out for the community. And we mm -hmm. want people to show up because we need to hear those stories. Yes. We need to hear the voice. Like We're here at the table doing the work, but we're not the voice of every black person in this community who has been victimized by the criminal justice system. We need to hear people's stories. Mm -hmm. So I ask it then again that everyone show up. 
And I also just would like to echo, um, as we heard today from the commission, me commission members around criminal justice, this is a, a ask of community to show up and to speak up. And as Salah mentioned, they meet on the second and third Wednesday at Tempe Avery Mumford Community Center, and that's found at 34 Pearson Drive, um, Asheville, North Carolina, 28801. And the meeting at large for the Reparation Commission meeting is held every third Monday at 6 p.m. and at Harris. And we also want community to know that if you know if this is the first time you kind of tuning in or getting connected around this um, initiative that is happening you always can visit the city's engagement hub and that is found at publicinput.com backslash Asheville reparations um, and that's where you can find recordings of prior meetings and to kind of get yourself caught up around um, the work that's been done around this very important um, initiative and as we heard from the Commission members today they're asking community to show up and so we want to put that information out there and again you can always go to the city engagement hub which is found at publicinput.com backslash AVL reparations all right folks it's time for me to drop my little nuggets and um, you may you may or may not want to hear this but I am going to say it around this table everyone said we need community to show up things can't get fixed with you complaining on your couch that includes voting, that includes being active in your children's school, that in, and includes being active in your community centers, and that includes in being very active in this process. You know, we, we have so many times where we show up to other events, and when it comes to our community, we want gifts and things um, for people um, just to come out to those things. Um, clubs do not give you gifts to show up. You get dressed up, you buy a new outfit, and you go. Different organizations don't get, give you a gift to show up. Actually, you pay them, and you dress up, and you go. So I need all of you all to dress up and come to these meetings and be involved. You know, the torch has not been dropped, but it has been standing still in one place. And it is time for us as a community to get up, unite, and walk together and move the torch to the correct place. History is as soon as yesterday. It is as soon as I got through saying the last word. History has been created. We need to make sure that our voices are heard and they're accurately documented. And you can't accurately document anything from your couch, from your kitchen table, or from your bedroom. Stop complaining to your refrigerator and come talk to the community. With love from to all of you all, you have been Tapped In. Thank you for listening to Tapped In, Buncombe County's half hour to empower here on WRES 100.7 FM in Nashville. Learn more about today's topic at buncombecounty.org. Otherwise, stay tuned for more great episodes coming up. <laughs>